We now have our reading, and it's from 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 22. It's on page 1217 of the Blue Church Bible. That's page 1217, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, please do leave your Bibles open um, in that, on that page, 1217. Um, and let's pray as we begin now. Father God, we sang in our first song this morning that your word is living and your word is sure evermore. And so as we come to your word now in this passage in 1, to, 1 Peter, we pray that your living word would speak to us by your spirit and that the eternal nature of your word would motivate us to live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we've been working through um, our way through the first chapter of 1 Peter over the last few weeks, and we've seen some amazing promises about the future that belongs to Christians. We've seen that because God has chosen us in Christ, we have an inheritance to look forward to, one that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us, and that we are being guarded by God's power until that day. And so we look forward, setting our hope on Christ as we travel on our pilgrimage with great anticipation. And then we get to this section of the book, and Peter changes emphasis slightly. His focus moves onto the present, onto the life that we have now, and how we should live it. If we go back uh, just to verse 3, which we looked at the first uh, week we looked in 1 Peter, we see that God has given us new birth. We have a new life, and it's glorious. Our new life opens up doors for us. It gives us places of honour. It gives us access to important people. We're never short of material wealth. We freely enjoy all that the world has to offer us. Right? Well, no. We know that's not the case. We know that's not the case from our own lives and from those around us. And Peter knows this too. He recognises that his readers, along with Christians in all ages, are scattered, exiles, foreigners. We read in verse 6, they've suffered grief in all kinds of trials. And isn't the same true for us now? So the Christian life then, is it really glorious? If it is, why? 
Well, certainly not because of material wealth or high-powered friendships that our life might be glorious. No. We'll find out as we work through this passage that it is glorious because of where it has come from, the seed, and glorious in what that seed produces. Last year, the, the PTA at my son's school was raising money for the school. Uh, we paid a pound, we got a little pot, some soil and a sunflower seed. The aim was to grow the biggest sunflower you could, hopefully the biggest in the school, and then you won a prize. Well, we, um, we planted ours. Uh, Josh didn't pay much attention to it. Um, I watered it every time I spotted it drooping. Then I transferred it into a bigger pot, thinking it's definitely going to grow really well now. Uh, but it didn't. It was really quite a poor effort. I think it goes to about here. Uh, got promptly eaten by slugs and then withered and died. So we weren't very good. But some of them um, were absolutely massive and splendid and survived much longer. They were actually all grown by the children of the competitive parents, I noticed. <laughs> and <laughs> the winner, if you're interested, was 2.7 metres tall, which I thought was quite impressive. But eventually, all those massive, splendid sunflowers would have gone the same way as ours did. They would have withered and died. That's what plants do. So what is the seed that gave the first readers of Paul's letter that gives us glorious new life? What causes us not to wither and die or or just produce nothing glorious at all, a bit like Josh's sunflower? Why is it different? Well, we find out from verse 23. Follow along with me. For you have been born again. Okay, we're going to quickly pause there. Born again. What do we mean by being born again? Well, it's a way of explaining total spiritual transformation. At the point we trust in Jesus, we're born again. We're born of the Spirit. We're given a new life, an eternal life. We're children of our Father in heaven. It's a new birth. But how are we born again? Let's carry on. Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. God's word brought new life. What is that word? Well, verse 25 tells us that it was the word preached, the gospel of Christ. What does it mean when Peter says here that God's word is living? This gospel is living. Well, it means it's alive, it's active, and it has the power to give life and the power to change lives. A bit like Joshua's sunflower seed, which produced life in the form of a sunflower. God's word, the seed, produces spiritual life. And what does it mean that God's word is enduring? It simply means it's eternal. It does not decay over time. It cannot die. Peter helps us here by quoting from the book of Isaiah, comparing God's word to mankind. Let's read verse 24. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So our new birth is not on the basis as our first birth not on the same basis as our first birth. It's not human procreation. It's not a natural birth. If that were the case, it it would be perishable. We, We all die. But as it is through the word of God, which is eternal, our new lives in Christ are also 
eternal. And that is what makes them glorious. You might be thinking, how does this fit in with what Christ did for us through his work here on earth? Does the word give life or does Christ and his work give life? That's a good question, especially um, as we go back to verse 3 of chapter 1. We read that this new birth is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Christians are born again through Christ's resurrection. So his resurrection not only shows us God's power to give life to the spiritually dead, it also means that those in Christ have eternal life. We live eternally because he lives eternally. We're also told throughout scripture that this new life we're given is told or is revealed to us through God's word. Look down with me, verse 25 again. This is the word that was preached to you. In James chapter 1, verse 18, we read, um, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. So the reading, preaching and teaching of God's word is important in new life too. And scripture also emphasizes a further thing, that hearing or reading the word alone is not sufficient to give new life. Not everyone who hears the Bible or hears the word preach will respond to it. Chapter 1 in verse uh, 12 tells us um, that the things that have been told you, so they're talking here, Peter's talking here about the gospel, the word of God, um, has been preached to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So it's the Holy Spirit's work in this as well. So when we think about it, new life comes through God's word, which is where we hear of Christ's resurrection, which gives us eternal life, and which is applied to us individually through the work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus's ministry, the ministry of the word, the ministry of the Holy Spirit are held together, bound together in giving new life. And the point here is to demonstrate how crucial God's word has been in giving new life to us. You might remember early on in in John's gospel, lots of people start following Jesus. Here's an exciting, new, fresh preacher. He does miracles. The crowds love him. But soon in John 6, we see that many people turned away from him. They gave up following him. They find his teaching about him being the bread of life just too hard. And so Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and asks them if they want to go away too. And Peter, the same Peter who would go on to write this letter, answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter recognises that God's word brings eternal life. And so what a privilege for us to have God's word here. And we can read those very words of eternal life. And that's why there's such a big emphasis on God's word in our church. It's why um, Andrew began our service with it. The songs we sang um, spoke of God's word. Um, At our prayer meetings each month, we have a Bible thought before we pray. We begin each sermon every Sunday morning and evening with a prayer that God would speak to us through his word by his spirit. We dare not neglect the word of God as doing so would neglect the very thing 
that has given us eternal life. Peter's readers, first readers, suffering, exiled, scattered, would have found much encouragement in these truths. Just imagine for a moment that you're living under the impressive power of the Roman Empire. It's seemingly indestructible with infinite resources and military strength. Yet, looking back, we know that it was not indestructible. It withered away. It died. But God's people did not. In fact, they flourished and are still flourishing in their eternal new life. And this is an encouragement for us too. In our time of exile here, as we journey on our pilgrimage towards heaven, as we face opposition for, for our faith, for suffer, we face suffering, uh, exclusion, we're reminded that our life in Christ is glorious and eternal because it comes from the imperishable seed, the word of God applied by the Spirit to us. And so we live our lives not impressed by the great power or the great wealth or the so-called wisdom of our age, but we live in the light of the eternal and life-giving nature of God's word. We live our lives in the light of eternity. When Joshua planted his seed one day after school, we knew what flower was going to grow from it. It wasn't a surprise. We didn't know how badly it was going to grow, but we did know what would grow. A question then, what, what flower grows from this imperishable seed, this new life? Well, Peter gives us two things. Love for one another and a craving for the life-giving word of God. So God's word brought new life, which is to be marked by love for one another. Marked by love for one another. Just follow along with me, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Let's dig a bit deeper into this verse. Peter is saying here that his readers are in the process of purifying themselves, of making themselves more like Christ. They're working towards their sanctification, their holiness. How? By obeying the truth, the living and enduring word of God. And what is the outcome of that? Well, they have sincere love for each other. Their new life was born out of love, the love that Christ had for them. And so it's natural for them to love too. But Peter is saying, yes, I can see you have sincere love for each other. That's wonderful, wonderful result of your new life. But go even deeper. Love one another on a new level. Love one another from your heart. Now in this world, as we travel through it, we'll come across um, lots of examples of people trying to define love. Usually they'll either be romantic, and I'm sure we can think of a million films that try and define love like that. Or sometimes sentimental, we feel sadness or sorrow for, for someone and we love them. But what does it look like for the Christian to love another Christian deeply from the heart? Well, we see, we see it in the negative in verse 1 of chapter 2. Let's just flick there. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. So love is not 
malicious. It doesn't seek to cause hostility and harm. Nor is it deceitful. It doesn't misrepresent the truth for personal gain or to harm others. It's not hypocritical, claiming to have a high standard of love, but actually just doing the exact opposite. Love isn't envious, wishing someone ill because of of something they have. It's not slanderous, speaking ill of someone. And it's obvious, isn't it, as I list those things, that all of them destroy relationships. They destroy the bind of love. They destroy communities. They're, They're like weeds, spoiling precious life, spoiling growth, and they need to be removed. And that's why Peter is firm. He says, rid yourselves of them. Put them totally away. Take those characteristics off and throw them away like old, worn-out clothes, never to be used again. Peter's desire here is that brothers and sisters in Christ are united as one. And that follows Christ's desire. We hear Jesus pray in John chapter 17 that all believers throughout history, including us, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And what is the outcome of that? Well, Jesus prays that the world will know that the Father has sent him and that the Father and him love the church. They love us just as they love each other. Simply, loving one another deeply shows an unbelieving world that we really are followers of Christ. Perhaps more importantly, shows them that the Father really did send Jesus into the world to save them. I was talking to a Christian brother a little while back, and this was part of his story of coming to Christ. He'd been to a church and was invited to spend time with a group of Christians at the church. And he said that he went into the room, and said that as he went into the room, he saw people from different backgrounds, different social statuses, different material wealth, loving each other as brothers and sisters. He said it was like nothing he'd ever seen before, the warmth, the way they treated each other. It was something that he wanted a part of. And seeing the outworking of love, he was was drawn into the group. They loved him well. They shared the gospel with him. And now, praise God, he loves the Lord. If you're here today and not a Christian, can I encourage you to look around the church here? If you don't know us already, get to know us and look at the ways We love one another. Where else could you find people from all over the world with different backgrounds, different jobs, different interests, loving one another like they'd love their own brother and sister? Could it be that it is Jesus who has brought us together, shown us what it means to love one another and given the means to do it? And could he be speaking his message of love for you through that today? Perhaps you too could be like my friend and choose to follow Christ today, having experienced sincere, deep love amongst us Christians in the church. Not only does it show the world Christ, loving one another, is the natural thing for us to do. We've been born out of of love. Love is in our very DNA. We love because he first loved us. And that's what Peter has seen in the lives of his first readers, and he wants them to go even deeper. Just cast your minds back to uh, pre-COVID days when we were able to travel on an aeroplane without having to take tests and filling in 
paperwork. Maybe you've been fortunate enough to go on a plane, back on a plane. Uh, we've not. Maybe one day. And we, we were, in a sense, bound together inside the plane as it flew 35,000 feet above the earth to its final destination. And as we journey together, exiles travelling home to our final destination with Christ, love is to be the visible bond binding us to one another. But what about when we find it hard to love our brothers and sisters? Christians can and do, perhaps will, fail to love us. Maybe even do some of the things that we read about in verse, verse 1 of chapter 2. How do we love each other, even when it's hard to? We know, don't we, that love is, love is costly. Loving us costs Jesus, even to the point of death. We didn't deserve it. Sometimes we might feel like our Christian brothers and sisters don't deserve our love. But Christ is our example and our means of loving one another, even when it's difficult, even when it's costly. In doing so, we mirror the message that we have heard preached, the word of God, which was one of love to the undeserving. What might love actually look like in the church in practice? Well, that will probably vary depending on our relationships with each other. So, for example, in our small groups, we find many chances to love each other each week, praying with one another, encouraging one another from God's word. How can we take that love deeper, maybe by meeting each other's needs in new ways, in showing greater hospitality, maybe even in offering practical day-to-day support to one one another where it's needed? Opportunities might look slightly different when thinking about um, other people in church, those not in our small group. How can we stretch our love again for those in church? You might serve on a Sunday, for example, loving our children deeply by teaching them of Christ. You might invite people round to your house to share a meal. You might purposefully seek out those people who are on the fringe of church or new Christians and build relationships with them. Really, the possibilities are endless. And praise God that our church is full of people who love one another in wonderful ways. Just as a, as a family, we're really grateful for the love that we've received. The offer to cook meals for us when Esther was born um, earlier this year. The text messages of encouragement, meeting up to pray or just to spend time with one another. I mean, these are all small, simple ways that have been really important to us. And that's not, of course, to mention the big ways that people have been loved in this church. When they've been going through some very difficult circumstances. The provision of housing, food, daily service. And we praise God for all of this. The organisation I work for has a a series of key performance indicators which are designed to monitor how it's doing. And some of those are known as stretch targets. And by their nature, those targets are designed to stretch the organisation to achieve what it cannot yet do. They show the level of ambition to improve it. And Peter's command to love one another deeply is is a bit like that, a bit like a stretch target. He says you're achieving, you're loving, but strive to achieve even more because the word of God is a word of love. So how can we love each other on, on a deeper level? Onto the second thing that will emerge from the seed, spiritual 
growth. We are to be marked by spiritual growth. Let's read verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What is the pure spiritual milk that we are to crave? Well, it's the same thing that has given us glorious new life. It's the word of God. Peter wants us to crave more of what has given us new life. And here he views each Christian as a newborn baby. This is a helpful image for me, having a a three-month-old, Esther, our baby. Uh, She needs milk in order to grow healthy and be strong. Her body craves milk. It's what strengthens her. And trust me, she can make it very clear when that craving needs to be satisfied. Regular feeding, physical growth are signs of healthy life in Esther. And the same is true spiritually for us. If we are to grow in our glorious new life, we need regular feeding. In fact, we need God's word to help us do the things that we've read about, thought about in verse, verse 1, to put them away. And we need to feed on it if we want to intensify and deepen our love for one another. And so we crave the Bible, we crave what it has to say about God, what it says about us, how it applies to us. But we have to be wise here. Paul tells us that the spiritual milk needs to be pure. Just as a wise parent makes sure that bottles are sterilised before they use them to feed a baby, we need to make sure that our intake of spiritual milk is not contaminated impure milk will stunt our spiritual growth. It will have us focusing on the wrong things, desiring things apart from Christ, maybe just simply confuse us about our faith. And sadly, it's so readily available. Books, podcasts, social media, TV, radio. These are all places where people can go to find people who claim to preach the life-giving word of God, but maybe water it down. Or subtly change the emphasis so it's all about us rather than about about him. Or just outright oppose what is actually written in the Bible. So we have to be wise to the places that we go to seek spiritual milk. We should ask ourselves some questions like, is what I'm reading or hearing in accordance with what I know the Bible says? And that's one of the reasons why we need to know what the Bible says. Other questions might be, Is this spiritual milk more about me than about Christ? Is it helping me to set my hope on Christ? Is it helping me to live in a more holy way, to live in reverent fear? And we saw in the passage last week how important these things are on our journey. Now, you might not be sure if what you're listening to or reading is, is pure. So can I suggest one of the easiest ways to find out is to speak to other Christians here in the church. Use the wisdom of your brothers and sisters to help you find and discern and enjoy pure biblical teaching. And so that is the milk. But what of how to take the milk? How do we feed our craving for it and grow spiritually? Well, first, foremost, and most simply, we begin by reading our Bible. But not just opening it up each morning, wherever it happens to open, but coming at it with a strategy, a plan. We'll find it helpful to learn and understand the storyline, the whole storyline of the Bible. Memorise portions of it. Take time 
to meditate on it, pray through it, asking for the Spirit's help, and pray that he would change you as you read it, that he would light your path through it. Commit to a small and local group so that you can feed on it with others each week and come humbly to it. This is God's word. This is the living and enduring word of God. I know some people in the church find the Explorer daily Bible notes, reading notes, really helpful. So if you are struggling, have a look at those as a good place, a useful place for you to start. I recall a time whilst I was at university going through a really wonderful period of Bible reading, spiritual growth. It probably helped that I was surrounded by some wonderful Christians in the, C, in the CU, um, going to a church that was passionate about knowing it and and applying it and I had a little blue bible and I took it around with me everywhere I read it at every opportunity it started falling apart not because I mistreated it but because I I used it so much I, I, I don't take my bible everywhere with me these days I don't read it at every opportunity and in quite the same way as I did at that point and I wonder if I've become satisfied with my understanding of the word of God Maybe satisfied with having tasted the goodness of God in the past. Maybe satisfied with my level of spiritual growth. And so, ask myself, do I crave it in quite the same way I once did? Do I recognise its life-giving power in the same way I once did? That might resonate with you too. I don't think the solution is actually too complicated. This is the word that's given us new life, a glorious new life. So let's remind ourselves regularly of its power. Let's remind ourselves that it will sustain us on our pilgrimage until we reach our final destination with Christ. It's absolutely worth me and you finding the time, finding the routine to feed on it. And in doing so, we will taste yet again that the Lord is good and our spiritual growth will continue and will not be stunted. Ultimately, God reveals himself to us through his word. And we know that one day, when our journey is complete, he will be fully revealed to us. That we will be with him, constantly tasting his goodness, constantly experiencing his love for us. So our lives might not feel glorious now, but they are and they will be. Because they come from an imperishable seed. God's living and enduring word. And so may we crave more of it as we grow in our salvation. And may our lives be marked by deep love for one another as we travel as pilgrims together. Shall we pray? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have first loved us and through your word we hear your words of eternal life. What Christ has done for us, we thank you for the Holy Spirit opening our hearts to hear and believe. Thank you that we have tasted that you are indeed good. And Father, we pray that in our time of exile on our journey home to you, please may we be united as one. May we love each other deeply from the heart, craving the pure spiritual milk of your word. And so, Father, we pray that you'd give us wisdom in how we can do that this week and beyond at a deeper level. For your glory, for our benefit, we pray this in Christ's name.
Amen.